right, here we go. I'm going to go get my notes over there, actually. Those are all folded up. There it is. All right, good morning. We're going to sing one more after, which is good because it puts me on a timer, you know. That's, it's good when I have a, have a rope, kind of. Um, okay, I got, hit in the, I got hit in the face twice yesterday. And so the first one uh, was at none other than the YMCA of Metropolitan 10 Dallas, as they call it. And I was trying to be nice to this lady. She was late for her yoga class. And so I was talking to her and trying to be like, it's okay, I'm sure they'll let you in, even though a lot of times they shut the door. Um, I've never done a yoga class. I don't know that I've just heard that. And so I, there's, if, you're, if you enter on the left side, there's just normal doors. If you enter on the right side, there's automatic doors. And so sometimes they randomly will start shutting without you being aware. And so I was looking back at her and didn't realize it. And this door hit me right in the head. And so everyone at the front desk, they were hiding their laughter, but they were also like genuinely concerned because it almost killed me. Like it was right there. Um, and so that, that was the first time I got hit in the face. I was fine. I, I killed the workout. And, uh, but the second time I was reading 1 Samuel 16 and I noticed something that just hit me in a way that it hasn't. And I haven't been able to shake it since. And so my prayer today is actually that this would just hit you in the face at the end because this is actually incredible. And like, I can't believe I never noticed that before. And so I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. Um, but here's, here we are, 1 Samuel 16. We've arrived at this pivotal moment in 1 Samuel. It's the arrival of the king. And so in certain movies, it's a big deal when the hero comes onto the scene for the first time. I remember on the way back from Africa, I, on, I usually don't watch movies on flights. I don't know why, I just can't do it. And I decided I was going to do it. I was exhausted. We, I barely made the last flight um, and because I wanted a bagel in New York and it almost cost me the flight. And so I was like, I'm going to watch Batman Begins. All right, it sets up the trilogy. I'm going to watch Batman Begins. And I, the whole time I'm like, when's Batman going to actually be here? Like it's this origin story. I'm like, I'm, I'm ready. Like, I want him to kick some guy in the face. Like where is Batman? And it takes like an hour for him to actually come on the scene and do something as Batman. Okay, there's a Superman movie where he doesn't, you don't even see Superman for like 45 minutes. And that's how this has been, is that we've waited 16 chapters to be introduced to him. And finally he's here. And here's what's interesting is that 66 chapters of the Old Testament are dedicated to David's life. Okay, when, and I want you to think about this. When you hear the name David, what do you think of? What comes into your mind? It's said that he's inspired more art than al in, in almost every event of his life than anyone who lived other than Jesus. Okay, the statue of David in Florence, some of you may have seen it, it attracts over a million visitors a year and earns over $7 million annually. Okay, he is a poet shepherd who loved God. He's a warrior king who defeated Goliath. He's a leader who set the standard for kings in Israel. He's nicknamed by God himself as a man after God's own heart. And yet, at the exact same time, he failed drastically as a husband and a father. And so we're going to see him walk by faith in amazing ways and at the same time fail in tragic ways. But ultimately, he's going to give us a picture of our need for the king of kings, Jesus. And today we're going to meet him. But here's what's interesting. When we meet him today in 1 Samuel 16, he actually doesn't really do anything. He doesn't even say anything. 
And so while this chapter is about David, it's actually more about the God of David. And so why does that matter? Because the same God who rules over David, the same God that had a relationship with him, is the same God who rules over us, and he wants a relationship with you. And so we're going to learn so much about God's person, what he's like, his purposes, what he's up to, and his priorities. What does he care about when we look at this chapter? And so there's going to be five kind of quick elements to this chapter. Here they are, and they each have verses attached to them. God is the one who chooses David. So you're going to see five things today. You're going to see the hope in God's choice. You're going to see the wisdom in God's choice. You're going to see the surprise in God's choice, the costliness of God's choice, and the irony of God's choice. I stole this from somebody else. We're just going to walk through the story here. So we pick it up right here. It's going to start sad, but it's going to shift to hope. So this is verse one, the hope of God's choice. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? So Samuel, if you remember, he's grieving over King Saul. Saul was the people's choice. They're all excited about him because he looked really good. But we talked a couple weeks about how his insecurity led him to indecision, ignorance, and idolatry. And a king cannot lead in that way. And so Israel lacked the moral leadership that they needed And so the kingdom was ripped away from Saul and God said, hey, I'm going to give this to a king that I am going to choose. And so Samuel's grieving because something that started with hope is ended really poorly. And so put yourself in his shoes. In 2005, I hate even bringing this up, but I was in eighth grade and the University of Oklahoma, my team, okay, they were in the national championship game. Mikey loves this against USC. And we had lost the previous year. We should have won in the national championship game. Uh, Could have had a dynasty. We just fell asleep. And then the next year, it was the year. We had these wristbands that said finish on it. It was like, this is it. We were undefeated going into the game. And this was our year. We were going to do it. We had one of the best teams of all time. And we lost in that game 55 to 19. Just got demolished. And I remember at halftime, I was in eighth grade. Okay, it wasn't, it wasn't today's will, although today's will probably would have been somewhere. I literally went to cry in my bedroom, okay, at halftime. Because I, I had so much hope, so much promise, and it just came crashing down. And so I don't know if you've ever been there, where you have something started out promising, you've had so much hope, and then it's come crashing down. That's where he is. And, and so is it okay to grieve when things don't work out how you're hoping in life? Yes, you can. But here we're going to see God has turned the corner in the midst of the grieving. So he says to Samuel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I provided for myself a king among his sons. And so the word see there, um, or provide, it's also see in Hebrew. It's the key word of the whole chapter. A version of that word see, provide, words like that. They're going to appear nine times in this chapter. And so what you see is this. This is really important. What one guy said is that Samuel is grieving over the broken past, but God sees the bright future. And so God can see something that Samuel cannot see at the time. And so even when things are broken, even when you're grieving, God sees. But the question is, do you see? And so this one verse shows that God is always on his throne. 
He's always in control, even in the darkest day. He knows his plans are going to be accomplished, even when things are at their worst. And so if you've ever seen the first Mission Impossible movie with Tom Cruise, it's old school. It's outstanding. You really should see it if you haven't. There's this scene in it where he's basically explaining to these guys that he recruited that they are going to break into the CIA headquarters. And there's this crazy scene where he's like floating from the ceiling. It's really insane. You should go see it. It's amazing. And he's explaining this to them. And they're looking at him and they're like, this is crazy. And they say to him, they go, do you really think we're going to do this? And Tom Cruise, a.k.a. Ethan Hunt, he looks him right in the eyes and he says, we're going to do it. And then the theme song hits and they go into the headquarters. But that, just that confidence is like, do you really think we're going to do this? He's like, we're going to do it. In other words, we're not going to fail. That's how God is. And let this be an encouragement to you. That when Samuel is grieving, God is upbeat. And so it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be honest about the sadness. But you don't have to be sad without hope. Because nothing can stop God in his good purposes. I have some, some things in my office that just remind me of truths to anchor me when I need to be anchored. And one of the things I have written down is this phrase I've been saying for years. And it says, it always works out. And then under it, it has all these verses that remind me that I don't have to worry. I can just be faithful and trust that God is in control and he always works out his purposes. It always works out. So our stories often begin when our plans fail. And when we get that, we can live with this mentality that's like, hey God, what are you up to? Like, I don't really know what's going on and I'm sad about this and I'm confused, but I know you're up to something. That mindset changes everything. So we see the hope in God's choice. We're also going to see the wisdom in his choice. So he sends Samuel and he goes to Jesse's sons. He's like, all right, I'm going to go find the next king. You may have heard this story. This is verse six and seven. We're going to see the wisdom in God's choice. When they came, he looked at Eliab. That's the first son. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So if you think about that, he sees his commanding appearance. Eliab, you're thinking like you're 6'4", 225. He's popular. He dresses well. He's like a star wide receiver for the Bethlehem High School football team. 10 girls asked him to highlights. And so he's looking at him. And he's like, that's him. Like, of course, that's the guy, right? And so watch what God says. The Lord said, do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. And so God's basically like, hey, did you not learn anything from the last guy that you were just grieving? Like, yes, he has this strong presence, but he doesn't have the character to lead well. And then comes what's, what some people would say is the key verse in First and Second Samuel. If you write in your Bible, I would underline this, circle it, star it. Okay, don't look at his appearance or his height for I rejected him. This is it. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, there's that, that word again, looks, sees. See, God sees when we don't see. And so what you see that here is that God cares more about our character than our characteristics. He cares more about our inner character than our external characteristics. He does not just look at outward characteristics like we do. He sees and values thoughts, motivations, inner character. And so this is Israel's struggle, but this is also our struggle, is that they got so caught up in external religion. Just what I said before, we sang going through the motions of looking impressive, but having hearts that were far from God. They wanted an impressive looking king so that they could be like all the other nations 
and we do the same thing. See, Samuel, the spiritual leader in Israel, is getting caught up in the same mistake that is so normal to human nature. Okay, it's like dating someone. I don't know if any of you have had this happen. I would imagine in a room this size, the answer is yes. Um, where you got caught up in the looks. Like you're like, this person, they look good. They made me feel good. But they didn't really have the character. And so it fails really badly. But then you jump right back into a relationship with someone similar like two months later. And you're like, it's going to be different. You know what I mean? Okay, we do that. Like that's just human nature. We do that all the time. Okay. And in recovery, if you, if you ever do like a recovery ministry, like the men of Nehemiah that came here, they'll use this line all the time. They'll say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing. And what? expecting different results and that's what they're doing like oh it it didn't work that time but i'm going to try it again it's not going to work it's not going to work but this is life in high school it's life in dallas it's life in america as we are so tempted to look to things that appear attractive but in the end will disappoint us and so god sees differently and we need his wisdom so you see the wisdom in god's choice you also see the surprise in god's choice so verses 8 through 12 this gets kind of fun here jesse calls Abinadab, I practiced that earlier. It's a hard name to say. Made him pass before Samuel. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. These are, these are cool names. You should name your, your kids these names one day. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this guy. Then Jesse made seven of his sons, big family, pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, Lord hasn't chosen these. So this is getting awkward. It's getting a little awkward at this point. It's like, well, this, none of these guys are working. I thought he was going to be here. And then we keep going and... and Check out what happens. Samuel's like, well, are all your sons here? Like, are we missing somebody? And he says, oh, there's this, there's this one other one, the youngest. But behold, he's back there. He's keeping the sheep. And so Samuel said to Jesse, send him, get him, for we're not going to sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy, had beautiful eyes, ladies, and he was handsome. A little different than Saul. We can explain that. The Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And so picture this. He's like, yeah, there's one other guy. He's my last son. He's back with the sheep. He doesn't even name him. We still don't even know his name at this point. He's like, that guy, he's back there. Now, just think about how he smells. Okay, they're, they're just grabbing him from the sheep. All right, let's just come bring him in for, this, for Samuel, this big time leader. He probably smells terrible right now. And the Hebrew word here, this is really cool. When he says, go get it, he's the youngest. Okay, what that word means, it, it means something that's small, young, insignificant, and unimportant. Okay, some people would say it means the runt. Like, go get the runt. He's in the back. Okay, so David, at this time, most people think he was probably a teenager. So he might have been your age, 15, 16. He could have been younger. Some people think he was like 10 when this happened. So he's somewhere between like 10 and 16, most likely. So very likely could be your age when this is going on. And so they didn't even think to invite him. But here's the cool thing you see is that you might be forgotten and left out by people, but you are treasured by God. And that's what you see with David. This is what God loves to do. He loves to take the people who are forgotten and left out and treasure them and use them for amazing things. See, back then, a shepherd was kind of a despised profession, but it also carried with it this biblical preparation for leadership. And so you see that with Moses. God loves to make people faithful with a little bit before he makes them faithful with much. In Psalm 78, uh, 70 to 72, the writer reflects on this moment right here. I think I have it up here. 
And this is what it, it says. It says, he chose David, his servant, and he took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing, is it use? I always mess up how I say that. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel inheritance, and watch how it describes him. Because of the way that God trained him and being faithful with the sheep when no one saw him, with upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. So this is what's happening. Is it for now we see that God got him out of the noise. He got him out of the spotlight. He got him into solitude with God. And in that solitude, God formed his heart. Okay, some words that describe him. He formed a humble heart. He formed a shepherding heart that was capable of caring for people. If you can care for sheep that wander off everywhere, you can care for people. He gave him a skillful heart to where he could lead with skill. He gave him a sincere and undivided heart. And he made him a servant in a worshiper. That's what you see here. And so the truth is this, is that when God wants to use somebody, he often guides them to the quiet place. And so what I would tell us today is we don't like quiet places in our society. We like noise. We like busyness. We like to always be with people. And we need to learn to embrace the quiet place. We live in a culture that's afraid of quiet places. Okay. Brennan Manning says one reason we don't like solitude is we don't like the person we're going to find when we're there. And so in solitude, we learn to see ourselves as God sees us. He loves us in spite of all of our weaknesses and imperfection. When I went on my sabbatical um, a few years ago, the hardest night of the sabbatical was the first night. I went to Seaside, Florida by myself to embrace solitude. And I was at dinner and I freaked out. I was like, I've got to be on my phone. I need to do something. I need to accomplish something. I need to be with someone. I couldn't sit down. I couldn't settle. And it was in that moment that God met me and was just like, well, you've just, I want you just to settle. And so the way Brennan Manning also says, it's like this cup of water that's shaking and it takes a while to let it settle down so that God can speak to you. And that's what happens in solitude is in solitude, that's where God cultivates a sincere, undivided, shepherding, servant heart in us. He cultivates leaders in quiet, lonely places. And so the question is, do you have that place to meet with God in the midst of all the noise. Yeah, we also see the next one. We only have two more. The costliness of God's choice. This is in verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil. He anointed him. So just picture this. The dude's smelly. He's young. No one would have thought this. And he gets anointed in the midst of his brothers because God saw his heart. He knew what he had prepared. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up went to Ramah. Okay, so there's his name. For the first time, we get his name. It's repeated over 600 times in the Old Testament and 60 times in the New Testament. Now, why do I say the costliness of God's choice? Because in this moment, from this moment on, when the Spirit of God rushes upon him, which we're going to talk about that in a second, okay, his life begins to get very difficult. And so that's the opposite of what we think. You'd be like, oh man, the Spirit of God rushed upon him. He's been anointed. His life is going to be awesome from here on out. That's not what happens. God moving powerfully in our lives does not mean an easy life. So from this moment on, David's going to be hunted and betrayed. He's going to be trapped and have to escape. He's going to hide in caves. He's going to live in exile. He's going to be driven to the edge. Okay, my favorite TV show, Survivor, which I've applied for multiple times. I'm going to try again. I'm going to give it one more shot. But there was a season called The Edge of Extinction. And it was kind of a lame concept. But the idea was that they, when you got voted off, you went to this thing called the edge of extinction. And it was basically, you had nothing at all. 
and they just wanted to see the whole premise was how far is a person willing to go? How much are they willing to push themselves? And that's David. In the next few weeks, you're going to see he is going to get pushed to the edge of extinction. He's, his life's not going to be easy. But you're going to remember right here, because the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, God is with him. And so what a guy who wrote a commentary on this, Del Ralph David says, is when the Spirit comes, the trouble begins for David. And that's the opposite of what a lot of preachers and teachers will tell you. What so many people will tell you um, in our society today is, is kind of this health, wealth, prosperity. Like, if you just give your life to Jesus, everything in your life is going to go great, and that's not going to happen. What some people will tell you is that you won't struggle with sin anymore. That's not true either. Is that in fact, when you become a believer, your battle with sin might get more intense than it's ever been because the real battle begins. And so the encouragement for us today is that the hard things are not a sign of God's absence. They're actually a sign of his presence. And so there's a costliness to God's choice. And we'll end with this. This is the part that hit me in the face yesterday. The irony of God's choice. This is verses 14 to 23. And so we're going to just read through this and then I want to make a couple points and then we're done. This is the irony of God's choice. So the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Okay, so if you're just paying attention, you should read that and be like, wait, what? The spirit left Saul and then God sent another spirit to torment him? So there's two questions this should raise with you. One, does this mean we can lose the Holy Spirit? Like if you're a Christian, Holy Spirit indwells you, can you lose the Holy Spirit? No. This does not happen to the New Testament believer. Okay, the, the great thing that's missing in the, the human soul is the presence of the Spirit of God. And the, the promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah and Ezekiel is that the Holy Spirit will reside and stay in the hearts of believers. First John says the same thing. As the Holy Spirit stays in you, He will never leave you no matter what. Okay, so in the Old Testament, you see a different way that the Spirit works. He doesn't indwell people that believe. That was in the New Testament. That's now. But the Holy Spirit would rush on and empower people for areas of service so that God could accomplish his purposes. So that's what's happening here. This is when Saul rejects God's purposes, the Spirit pulls away from empowering him to do it. And so the second question you might ask is, well, that's kind of weird that the harmful spirit like of the Lord went to torment him. So is God picking on Saul? That's the second question. No, because when God rejects Saul, you're going to see this in the coming weeks, it gets crazy. His life begins to deteriorate. And in his deterioration, he becomes dangerous and paranoid to the point of killing people, trying to kill people. He's constantly freaking out and paranoid. And so the, because of this harmful spirit, he, you'll see this. He's going to get these random fits at different times, and it's actually going to restrain him from doing even worse and more damaging things. And so this is actually an act of mercy from God by restraining him from causing even more damage to himself and other people. It's a strange way that God is actually showing him mercy. And he's actually going to show him even more mercy by sending somebody to soothe and help Saul. So who's that going to be? That's where the irony comes in. So Saul's servants say to him, behold, there's this harmful spirit from God that's tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who's skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is among you, upon you, he'll play and you'll be well. So we know this. We might think that's weird, but music is, is calming and soothing, isn't it? Like there are times in our lives where there's like a certain song you just need when you're stressed out or worried or angry. Or maybe you have like your breakup song. I don't know. Okay. So music 
is powerful. And so he's like, hey, we got to find somebody that can play some music that can suit you. Okay, so let's keep going here. Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well. Bring him to me. And so one of the young men answered. Think about how crazy this is. Says, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who's skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence. And most importantly, like we just said, the Lord is with them. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who's with the sheep. Here we have one more. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat, and he sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul, picture this scene, and entered his service. Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he's found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and he played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. So think about this. The guy's like, hey, I know someone who's good at music. He's with the sheep. He's over there. And so the first thing is this, is that David was just anointed by God to be king, and then he gets sent back with the sheep, which is crazy. And so it's like God's doing something in him. This is always blowing my mind. This isn't the part that hit me in the face, by the way. But we care about the end result, but God cares about the journey. God cares way more about our hearts than he cares about our plans. And so my freshman year at OU, um, I had all these big plans. I had all these purposes I was going to achieve, and none of them happened. And in fact, I had one of the hardest seasons I've ever had in life. I had multiple things happen that were really difficult, both in family and just in, uh, in my college time that first semester. And I remember really just being at the end of myself. And I met with this guy from a church, and I actually found it was November 17, 2009, and I met with him. And I, I wrote a journal after this and he listened to me and he told me he looked me in the eyes and he said we are way more concerned about the outcome where god loves the journey and he said you need to stop thinking about the the outcome and you need to trust what god is doing in the journey and that's what god was doing with david is god was developing in him a servant's heart he was teaching him how to be faithful when nobody else saw him and so he's producing something in David that would be powerful as a leader. And he might do want to do the same thing with us. But here's the part that gets cooler. This is the part that hit me in the face yesterday. And then I'll end with this. And we're going to sing one more song. Is that David's just been anointed king. But no one really knows he's the next king. Like that's not really known yet. Saul definitely doesn't know it, which is crazy. He doesn't realize the guy that's taking his place. That's why it's so ironic. And so he's going to have to wait about 20 years before he's officially the king. And God's first assignment, don't miss this, God's first assignment for David, the newly anointed king, is to go and serve a bad king who's eventually going to try to kill him. To love and serve his enemy before he's even his enemy. That's the first assignment God gives him as a king because that's what leaders do. Leaders use their reign to serve other people. And God was preparing them to be a servant leader. He was preparing him to love someone that would not only not return that love, but try to kill him. Now, here's the question. This is what blew my mind yesterday. Is, does that sound familiar to you? That's a leader who would serve in that way? See, the reality is this, and I'll end with this. We are actually like Saul in the room, okay? You're not David. I'm going to tell you that next week, too, when we do David and Goliath. You probably heard the message, like, be like David. You can kill the giants in your own life. 
Okay, someone once said the five stones were faith, hope, love, tithe, and tithe. That made me laugh. But you're not David, okay? We are like Saul in the story. We are tormented by our self-centeredness. We are seeking life, security, and significance, and joy, in so many things other than God. But Jesus, born in Bethlehem, just like David, he was insignificant and surprising by the world's standards, just like David. He came to serve and love his enemies, to use his power as king to serve people who were his enemies and ultimately laid down his life on the cross to save them. And because of that, we don't have to live with insecurity anymore because we have security from the good shepherd who laid down his life from the sheep. So I want to end with you thinking about this. This is John 10, verse 11. This is the ultimate David who used his kingship to serve people like you and me he says i'm the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep and so this is the security that we are all craving this is the hope that we are all craving this is a picture of jesus who would one day come as the ultimate king and so the only application today is to just sit in that and to build your life on that and to leave here knowing that because of that you've been brought in from an enemy now you're a friend and you can leave this room knowing how loved you are so i'm gonna have sp and aspen come on back up here and we're gonna sing build my life and we're gonna remind ourselves that jesus is the ultimate king who serves his enemies he uses his reign to make us his friends and you can live like that's true god we thank you for david this story that ultimately points us to the true David, which is Jesus. We thank you that you're a God that works so differently than humans work. You blow up our standards. And so, Lord, we just pray we would embrace you in the solitude. We pray we would embrace you in the silence. We would allow you to shape our hearts. Uh, We would trust that you're at work and that there's hope even when things are crazy. But most importantly, Lord, we pray that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, who was the perfect king, who laid down his life to serve enemies so that we could be brought in and become family. I pray that we would live like that's true this week. We pray that in his name. Amen.